Greetings, salutations, good morning, good evening, wherever you are around the world. This is the Right on Track podcast with Tom Denham and Connor Jonas. Uh, we are two Thomas the Tank Engine lovers, both of the railway series and the TV series. And after much deliberation, we decided to finally get right on track and create a podcast reviewing each of the episodes. That's exactly right. And it's it's a funny story, really, how we both met. We're both uh, active members at uh, SIN, uh, which uh, produces radio and podcasts galore. And one day we just stumbled across each other speaking about trains and realised that we have a common interest in the one cheeky blue engine that we all know and love. And we plan to deep dive meticulously into uh, the book and TV series alike and uh, really rekindle with that thing that we both fell in love in. Mm. And also uh, we'll be talking about sort of trivial facts about each one, such as where real life incidents of each of the stories came from. And then we're also going to be talking about how each of these episodes have sort of affected ourselves and the little blue train himself. Absolutely. One thing I'd love to get in touch with first, um, Connor, is how, like, I think it's easy at our age to get in touch with Thomas when we're young and we're in front of the TV and we go, oh, hello, what's this? It's bright and colourful and Definitely. you engage with the stories. But um, it's not common, however, for um, older people, so to speak. Uh, we're both over the age of the expected target audience. Mm-hmm. But there is um, an exception to the rule here, I guess, uh, for the whole um extended Thomas fandom, but uh, how did uh, Thomas stay with you and how were you introduced to Thomas at the start? So originally for myself, Tom, what happened was that my sister actually really used to be sort of the quote-unquote stereotypical boy. So I would always play with the dolls and my older sister would play with the trucks. And what happened was that when she was younger, they bought a whole bunch of VHS tapes for her. One of them was a whole bunch of Thomas ones, um, narrated by Ringo Starr. It was the really early 1984 ones. And then what happened was she wasn't interested in them. So one day I started watching it. Didn't really pay much attention until one day I was having a haircut at Babies R Us. Saw the season five episode, Rusty in the Boulder. Oh. <sighs> Good episode. Yeah, and, and then I found the corresponding wooden railway set, and then it was a rabbit hole from there going all the way down Balahoo Tunnel in Thomas Galore. That's amazing. That's so good. I think the way I got into Thomas is, um, or, or trains as well, because I'm definitely an avid uh, train spotter or train mm. enthusiast. Um, my grandfather, um, quite like-mindedly, is uh, very into steam trains, and he uh, attempted his best attempts to get all of his kids into trains. When the Flying Scotsman was over here in Australia, yeah. he, he took uh, uh, several of uh, his kids, my uncles and aunts, to see it and uh, they thought it was cool but they didn't think it was amazing and um, once the grandkids came along uh, I was the first boy uh, grandson to enter into uh, the family and he uh, saw the opportunity and took it to take me on Puffin Billy and to go train spotting and that's where I think my love uh, with uh, steam trains which is such a quaint and majestic uh, mm. piece of machinery. It, it, it's really interesting because um, I feel that steam trains in general, they have got some kind of charm about them and romance in a sense mm. that no other kind of machinery um, can replicate. And I feel none are more iconic as definitely the steam train sort of spearheaded natural civilization as it was right through the industrial age. Very much so, yeah. And And um, I I feel that with it, there was a very human characteristic already about them because they needed to be controlled by humans, of course, the firemen, the drivers, engineers, and the guards to make sure that all functioned and I feel that also was reflected in the engine. 
Very much so. And I think in my time as an engine cleaner, I very much uh, understood this to a degree. Like you go there early in the morning, it'd be a quarter to six at an ungodly hour and this idea of slowly greasing it and getting the fire started, it's almost like awaking a, a breathing, lumbering dragon almost or yes. something very alive. And I think it's very much one of those rare pieces of machinery that has that alive quality. Like you can look at a car and it's a marvel of... Um, invention and machinery but I think there's something very special about the steam train and I think that's what's made Thomas so uh, successful and iconic mm. and I think um, I put two and two together at this young age and thought oh, this is really cool because this is exactly like um, a steam train that you would see at such and such railway um, and out of all the kids shows that were around it felt the most authentic and the most tangible for that very reason. And I think that's why it stuck for so long and uh, became something that was a lot more enjoyable, I think. is Would would you say that's the same reason why you kind of kept hold yeah, of it? I have stuck... I, I could say yes. However, I very much fell out of touch with Thomas for a while. Mm. I, you know, just sort of packed them away for a bit, didn't really think about it. One day was like, oh, it'd be fun to play with it. I would play with it for a day or two, leaving the set out, and then I'd pack it back up again. But it's really only been within the past, I would say, year and a bit that I've really gone back into it. And I would say the sort of catalyst for that was just by watching all the other fan creations of Thomas on YouTube and revisiting old ones and then sort of seeing other people, such as yourself and now me, that were still interested in Thomas even though they were in the up range of, you know, the ages seven and up fan base. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely remember one of my first favourite... Um, of fan creations was Leo Kim videos Thomas and the Mad Bomber. Yeah, that was amazing for its time. Like I think it was one of the first or at the beginning of the kind of the fan reign, so to speak. Mm, mm. And it was creative because it was Thomas, but it was an Aussie making his own version of Thomas rather than trying to re-emulate something that he couldn't make. Yeah, I, I remember watching other videos at the time. And I can probably lose count, I would say a good 70% of them, were Accidents Will Happen remakes yeah. using Tomy engines. And they would just be filmed on someone's train set, just filming their engines just sort of going off the rails. Yeah. Which was fun. But I feel that Leo's starting presence was very much, I'm going to create a proper storyline here of my own using my own characters, because, of course, he only had Thomas, but then he had Eric and Earl using other Erdles. Mm. And he had pyrotechnics and filming experience that he really brought in. And I feel another, a less sort of professional one, but definitely a very much creative one, was the Thomas Blues' stack. Yes, I remember that as well. I think that one was a school project or something. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. because uh, I think one of the, the made-up characters in that episode was a teacher from that school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that would make so much more sense because it had, for its time, quite a wide voice cast of... Um, I remember that Annie and Clarabelle are two different girls that voiced it and I remember watching it nowadays going... Well, these people, they'll be, what, 15? Mm. There can't be a chance that there's this many people working together on one project. Yeah. But now, sort of with the wider community, there definitely is, but that was a benchmark for its time. 
Yeah. For those who are listening who are unsure of where we're going with this is um, we've both uh, found uh, on the internet and on uh, YouTube uh, quite mainly is that there's quite a strong presence of um, Thomas fandom and a lot of fans were really creative and really put their heads together and make uh, some really good stuff and they try their best to uh, create their own episodes that could fit into the the Thomas mythos or into mm, the, uh, the universe. Yeah, and uh, they do this uh, in various ways using model trains and uh, train simulated games, um, and sometimes artwork mm. or um, purely the toys themselves uh, with a little bit of film trickery. Um, but there's some fantastic ones out there. I think one of the first ones I really discovered uh, were by uh, Gavin Rose, who's um, from the Sodor Island Forum, and uh, he did a series called The Railways of Sodor. And I think they came out around 2005, 2006, and I kind of it was the first one I kind of really percolated and went, oh, there's fan stuff that's actually good. Yeah, I, I, I remember one that I really got stuck with as a full series was uh, Wild Norwester's uh, Sodor, the early years. Yes, that was another really good one. And the modern years that followed was really good. Yes, I um, remember I had on my little checklist when the modern years were coming out and then made sure I was one of the first to actually watch it. Yeah. And I nearly cried when I watched it, I'll admit, because there was a brilliant emotional scene. It's been out for a few years, so I think it's safe to spoil it. Yeah. Uh, Where Thomas would talk about how he's the last E2 left and so on. And that sort of awoken me on how, in the universe, this is supposed to be real stuff and there are unspoken of details such as in Sleeping Beauty Season 4 episode Mm. on how when Duke, you know, disappears for however many years, when he comes back, it is actually his, the grandson or something of his driver um, that initially sees him. And I believe it was mentioned in an interview somewhere that Duke initially believed that the grandson of his driver was his actual driver. Yeah, yeah, I remember reading that. And... That really shows that despite this being a show about colourful talking engines and planes and helicopters and buses and boats and coaches, is that there is a very real setting to it Mm. on how these aren't just talking engines. They do have feelings. They do make mistakes. And granted, it is very much a, oh... You forgot to pull the train, Thomas. But then you think about all the repercussions. And it could just be that I'm looking way too in-depth. But Oh, that makes two of us then. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that there's a real pattern of there are these unspoken elements. And there have been some times that uh, the Reverend Audrey, who initially wrote the Railway series and introduced Thomas, you know, Percy, Gordon, Henry, Edward, James... To the world, mm. that word arc. Mm. Yeah, very much so. I think um, if Wilbert Audrey did anything really well, it was the concept of world building. And I think he kind of follows in the path of many great um, authors like uh, J.R. Tolkien and um, C.S. Lewis, who build these worlds like Middle, Middle Earth and um, Narnia. And the island of Sodor um, became a very... uh, There there was a lot of reality to it. And the idea that uh, my copy of uh, the complete collection of the first 26 books has the map of the island of Sodor that has the names of all the regions and all the little pinpoints on the map of... This is where Thomas initially worked before he had his branch line. Yes. Or this is uh, the, the the specific tunnel that Henry got caught in in Balahu. Or this is um, the scrapyard where the steam engines go when they're decommissioned, mm, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I, I, I know the map you're on about. Um, for Christmas a few years ago, my dad got me a copy of Reading Between the Lines. And the front cover has got a very similar map of Sodor and all the regions. 
And then it will also have, you know, this is where Henry got stuck in the tunnel. This is Gordon's Hill where Gordon gets stuck. This is where James slips on the leaves. And what really got me about it is that my dad was worried it wouldn't come because he actually had it sent to Christopher Audrey to sign. Right. So in oh, the, that's so cool. So I, I, I got it. I'm like, oh, wow, you got me a book. I opened it. And inside it had a, dear Connor, here's something to keep you out of trouble. Christopher. <laughs> That's amazing. And it, I cried. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That has, that's fandom peak right there. Mm. Yeah. I think one question I'm uh, really interested in um, exploring, I guess, for both of us, how, uh, I guess, now um, expressing um, our love for Thomas is very uh, beyond, I guess, pushing a train back and forth. But how do you express, uh, your passion for Thomas and the Railway series? Um, so definitely with me. I am too broke to afford <laughs> an, uh, the space to build a complicated layout, but I'm very much a creative, overthinking individual. Mm. So I uh, have designed a lot of custom ideas and I have helped uh, different custom makers and filmmakers... Um, in their different episodes and giving them advice on how to use different things. Just the other day I was talking to someone about how to help light up their wooden railway mall of the Chinese dragon. So I actually glowed. Oh, so cool. Um, but one thing I personally do is I write theories and try and connect it all together. Mm. And I, I feel bad almost because these are things that have never been mentioned before. And sometimes I feel like I'm undoing stuff because there are these pre-established laws in this world that the Reverend has built and Britt Allcroft that I don't want to break because of how precious they are to me. Mm. So a lot of my theory writing, which I've got a big Google Doc, I think there's about six or seven different theories now, um where I will set out rules for myself and I'll include them in each one. Okay, this can't contradict anything. Here are the resources I'm going to use. And from that, I'll actually go more into the sort of unanswerable questions, questions that can't contradict stuff. So, for example, I tried to determine the history of Great Waterton from Thomas and the Great Discovery, something that has never been built upon, something that most likely never will, um, but still something that I felt would be a piece of world building that would be valuable if mm, yeah. it was tangible. I think building headcanon is something that I love, and <laughs> I think one of my favourite uh ways of expressing that I guess in my instance with a lot of illustration and model making is that I like to develop my own characters and places where they come from and new places where they work that aren't uh, shown in the, the, the TV series or the book series but all those little speckled areas where we have no idea of what lies there um, yeah stuff like that I think really trying to um, stretch out on the circle and the surrounding areas um, is something that I love doing. Mm, so it, I can definitely understand from where you're coming yeah, from. Yeah, it, it's said somewhere that the Northwestern Railway has got over 80 engines. Yeah. And... We only see 50 in the TV show. Yeah, and not even those 50 all belong to Northwestern Railway. Mm. Some, like Mavis, are to the Fafaqua Quarry Company. Bill and Ben are the soda China clay pits. Yes. So And then you have the Scar Lowy Railway and exactly. the Arsdale Railway. It goes on. And so there's so much that we don't see. Mm. 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 I think one of my main um, expressions of, um, I guess, saying how much I love Thomas and waving the flag proudly for the fandom and for myself um, is model trains. I think it's something I only really got laid into in the game and um, it's just such a therapy and I love the idea that I don't have to specifically build a screen or illustration accurate um, depiction of somewhere from the island of Sodor but I can make 
somewhere just out of my own imagination and exactly kind of build its own history around it like um the model railway layout that i've built has no resemblance to anything that's um depicted in either form mm. and i'm just kind of enjoying the mystery behind that whether um it's somewhere we haven't seen what, yet. What, what's going to happen next no one knows yeah 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 and i think for me, like, I love so much the people who dedicate their creativity to um, re-emulating those places, but for me, it's very much building the new, and I think that's something I really enjoy doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that uh, reflects in... Uh, I do a lot of drawings as well. I think that reflects in the drawings and the illustration that, too. That was actually uh, how we sort of first met... Um, with our Thomas thing, because of course we'd bumped paths before, but what happened, you were building a deck card tower, I was helping you, then you just sort of gave up on it, pulled out <laughs> a piece of butcher paper, and started drawing um, James asleep, Bill or Ben pulling some trucks, and then Percy with some milk tankers, and I remembered them, and I picked them out, and went, oh, you know, I'm like, yeah, I love that. Yeah. And then we both sort of had this realisation, because you, Tom, were very much, and I mentioned it, my coming out of the closet of Thomas. It's very much the term of phrase that we use in this community. Because it's something that is very much often shielded a lot of the time. Yeah, it's very much down Uncanny Valley, I guess, for us to um, outwardly say that this is something that we love publicly. Mm. And I, I guess that is because of the sort of connotations of, oh, it's a children's TV show. Mm. And then they go, oh, you like a children's TV show? Why? Well, if anything, we should be more proud because children's TV shows were sort of the things that made us happy. They are purely set on good things. So if I like enjoying watching something that's happy instead of maybe Game of Thrones, as much as, you know, I, I yeah. do enjoy both, then I proudly, happily represent that. Um, my home lock screen for a while was a picture of all the engines asleep, and then when I'd turn my phone on, then all their eyes would open. So cool. So proud of it. That's awesome. I think this is a perfect time to dip right into the first episode. Yes. So... As Tom gets some brilliant piece of technology up, one big thing that we're doing in this series is we are going to be reviewing each episode bit by bit. So we'll have a bit of a conversation, then we'll review a few episodes and our thoughts on them. Absolutely. So without further ado... Thomas is a tank engine who lives at a big station on the island of Sodor. He's a cheeky little engine with six small wheels a short, stumpy funnel, a short, stumpy boiler, and a short, stumpy dome. So Thomas and Gordon, or otherwise known as Thomas Gets Tricked, was the very first episode of the TV series. Uh, that was broadcast around the world. Um, and it's just such a perfect opener. Um, I really um, admired the guts that uh, Britt Allcroft took to actually do this story instead of um, Edward's Day Out first. Yes. Yeah, I think it was uh, a very gutsy move in terms of adaptation uh, to do that, but I think it really flows well and it's the reason why Thomas became the most popular character, I think. She saw potential in probably what was a minor character and then he came about to be oh. the main hero. It, it's funny you say that because... Out of all the engines, Thomas is the only one who's got a book, which is Thomas the Tank Engine again. Yeah. So he clearly did have popularity when he was, you know, only a book series mm. in the Railway series. But I do feel it's very fitting that the first book of Thomas, the first story in said book, was the first episode. Mm-hmm. And all the other episodes that we're actually going through after this are the first few books from the initial first book. The first few stories from the initial few book. First book. I'm good at words. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of a brief on uh, the first episode? Yes, certainly. So, initially released in 1984, uh, in the UK, narrated by Ringo Starr, the former drummer of the Beatles, the story of Thomas and Gordon goes that Thomas is a cheeky engine on the island of Sodor. He's got six small wheels, a short stumpy funnel, short stumpy dome, and the big number one on his side. He shunts coaches in the yard, then one day goes up to the big blue express engine, Gordon, wake up lazy bones. Eager to get his revenge, Gordon decides to drag Thomas along later on a massive journey across Sodor with him at, attached to the back purely by accident um, to pay Thomas out. And the end of the episode shows Thomas returning home, a very tired engine whose wheels are worn out. From the get-go, we know Thomas likes to poke and prod, and I think this is something that has very much stayed uh, true to his character. By no measure is Thomas a, a saint or perfect or pure, um, as he's depicted in series uh, 8 to 16. Yes. Uh, but um, in, in the roots of his character, he's just... Um, an underdog that just wants to have fun. Exactly. And his role as the uh, the shunter in the yards at Natford um, pretty much goes about that. He gets the coaches and the trucks for the bigger engines that have the authority over him, and there's very much a class system here that uh, tank engines are lower and that tender engines are higher. Tender engines don't shunt. Which is something we'll allude to later on, and I think... Uh, this is um, a really interesting social uh, construct in the world of Thomas. Mm. Um, but I think, like, the only talking roles in this episode of Thomas and Gordon, I think it really um, it sets the tone uh, for the start of the series. And I think we're introduced to two of the most iconic characters in the show, uh, if you think of Thomas, one of the first, uh, in addition to Thomas, one of the first uh, characters you think of is Gordon, um, mm. who is an engine based off uh, the famous Flying Scotsman um, in terms of uh, his prototype and uh, is the express engine. And I think Gordon was always a favourite for me. I think there's mm. something uh, that I loved, that he was the biggest engine, that he was the fastest as well. Um, and he has this ego problem. A, a superiority <laughs> complex almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's always huffing and puffing about how he's um, the most important engine and that everyone is kind of just left to the side a little. Mm, definitely. And the sort of entire thing of Thomas and Gordon being the almost younger brother, older brother roles mm. have continued in the series today where in the Meet the Steam Team episodes released for season 23, uh, Thomas talks about how he sees Gordon as a big blue superhero, mm. which almost plays into the first, the you know, the, they make f fun of each other. And then the little kid really does look up to the big kid yeah. and wants to be just like him one day. Yeah, and as you said, it flows throughout the whole narrative of the story. And I think there's something really nice that Thomas and Gordon aren't antagonising towards each other. They know that at the end of the day, they got each other's back. Mm. Um, but at the very start, you're not too sure where it's going to go here. It, it, exactly. It's only to the season two episode, I think, or maybe late season one uh, down the mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they really get that, you know, I help you, you help me, together we stand, united we fall. Yeah. Uh, that Which is really beautiful. It is. And it's actually um, a extract from a World War Two speech on how um, united we stand, individual we fall. Mm. Because the idea was together, all us and our soldiers, we will be strong and we need to work together. Yeah. Um, but a really interesting thing about the episode is, of course, the climax on Thomas being dragged along by Gordon, one of the most um, iconic shots. If you see any engine behind another one, generally a tank engine, 
being dragged along, it's most likely a reference. It was actually based on a real event. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, so I've got my little factoid here on how the story was based on an event that occurred with an express train and, and a pilot, a shunter, uh, leaving Liverpool Street Station in London. Um, of course, the engine didn't get dragged for 54-odd miles. <laughs> but um, it did go for a bit of a distance before they sort of went, stop, we're sort of stuck here. Yeah. Um, but that's one charming thing that I feel also builds into the world building of the Reverend because he did use real-life stories. Most of them were based off real-life anecdotes um, in the, the original Railway series, and I think, yeah, that's something that definitely uh, was something that I gravitated towards as well. Mm. One thing about the um, story is that how different the Railway series and the TV series are originally. Mm. Um, of course, there's always difference. You're changing a book into a TV show. But one interesting thing to me is that in the railway series, Thomas was initially the station pilot at Vickerstown. Yes. And how they didn't even include Vickerstown in the TV series until much later a on. A lot later, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we all got a big surprise when that came. Definitely. It was... Mind blowing, and Vickerstown itself is a real place. Mm. Uh, it's spelt differently, but it is in the same location. Mm. It's on an island off the coast of uh, Barrow and Furness in England. And that island, if you just sort of expand it, stretch it, that becomes Sodor. Yeah, it's um another interesting note that um at this point in the book series, none of the engines have specific numbers. And I think it's only later on that they earn their uh, numbers based upon which characters were the most favourable in the audience's eyes. Really? And and Thomas ended up being number one. I never knew that. I knew yeah. that they didn't start with numbers and how in later illustrations they added the numbers. Yeah. But I, th I think it was from Thomas to Gordon or James where... Uh, it became the favourite uh, system or something along those lines. I don't know the specifics behind it, but that's how Thomas became number one, and I think it went from there with um, Edward Henry Gordon James. Because huh. one thing I always put together with Edward Gordon Henry is that they were the first three characters introduced. Mm. So it would make sense if they took up the first three positions. Yeah. But with Thomas being number one, it would make sense if he was the most favourable for him to be the number one. And the numbering system is very complicated. I did about a six-hour research into all the UK's numbering systems throughout history and then trying to determine how the numbering system on Sodor works. They don't have one. <laughs> Literally, from what uh, my research turns out is that they... The numbers are overall based on significant numbers and then they're based on the normal sequential numbering system. And then after that, they isn't really anything else. So if there was a branch line with no engine and then they got one, that engine will be unnumbered until they get a second engine and they need to yeah. distinguish them. And then they've got sort of a letter suffix system, such as diesels. Diesels are numbered D1, D2, D046209, blah, 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 blah. Exactly, first try. But then you get engines such as Emily, who's introduced in season eight? Season... Seven? Uh, seven, yes, 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 yes. Because it's, I think, the first episode of that season. Mm. Mm. Who doesn't have a number... Uh, a quote comes to mind by the Reverend Audrey um, on how a name is much better than a number. Yeah. And I, I feel that really in the world building, that really took hold on Sodor with so many engines not having numbers. Mm. There's such a versatility of characters, um, more than any other, I guess, uh, children's story. Um 
in the world of Thomas. Like, as we said before, there's over 50 or so characters in the current TV show. It's just too many for any other show. But for a railway, it makes a lot of sense. It does make sense. And, of course, issue comes into play on, oh, they haven't shown X character since season B. Mm. You know, where on earth are they? They're neglecting them. But, of course, the issue comes in, they've got so many characters to choose from. Yeah. And creating new characters is always a challenge. Yeah. Um, Of course, whether that be a CJ model or whatever, that often the best thing to do would be to stick with the initial characters and then slowly integrate the other characters back in. But, of course, then you need to play with the couple hundred different characters and choose one. Mm, mm. And it's something that in the CGI era of Thomas, namely the Brenner era, um, that has occurred, like once we got to season 17, characters like Bill, Ben, Duck and Oliver start to come back and then it started to become a bit of a surprise, like who was going to be the returnee, like in a 70th anniversary, we got Donald Douglas and Daisy. Exactly. And then it became more of a surprise. Yes, yes, yes. And it was their uh, screen debut as well. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So it's interesting that uh, the current creative team understand that there is a loyal fan base out Mm. there that follows the show and has gusto and passion for the show and their way of saying thank you is, hey, here's what you used to love. And when they return, they often return like they never left. Yeah. So, for example, the end of Tale of the Brave, when Daisy's returned, what then happens is everyone's like, oh, Daisy, you're here. Yeah. And to kids watching the show, they would go, oh, green thing. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. to us, we go, oh, yeah, that's Daisy. She's returned. That is amazing. We're going to see a lot more of her. And we did. We saw a good three, four episodes. And it's so good. It is so good. But getting back to uh, the source topic, um, overall, as an opener episode or as an episode in general, where do you rate Thomas and Gordon or Thomas Gets Tricked? Ooh, okay. So, of course... I could rank it right at the top because it's a classic. Mm. It it was the first, and there's plenty to forgive. However, trying to ignore everything sort of behind it and focus on itself as an episode with its story, I would probably rank it about three quarters up. Mm. Uh, Purely because of, granted, it is good, and... It did have the railway series and so on behind it, except if this was your first time ever seeing it, you would, uh, to fully appreciate it like Tom and I are now, you would need to have those sort of background pieces of information Mm. and how just going into it right away, you would just see these talking trains, which is a brilliantly short episode and there's so many little things going on. On the opening shot of Thomas pulling coaches into Knapford Station, you can see lots of tiny little posters on the walls of the platform and so on. Something I really wish they brought back because it was a wonderful little detail. Yeah. Yeah, Knapford Station itself is such a spectacle. I think out of ten, I think... I'd rate this episode maybe a a solid 6.5. Yeah. Because I feel like it's entertaining enough. But, again, I reiterate what you said. You definitely uh, require that background information uh, to understand uh, what's going on as well. But at the same time, you have a good time. Yeah, definitely. Now, of course, this is not the only fantastic episode uh, the initial railway series first two stories were Edward's Day Out and Edward and Gordon? Correct. I'm ready, said Edward. No good, grumbled Gordon. They pulled and pushed as hard as they could. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it, puffed Gordon. I will do it. I will do it. I will do it, puffed Edward. 
Edward pushed and puffed and puffed and pushed as hard as ever he could. I think just listening to that clip and watching the models as well, I think something we have very only very much skin to surface on is the model making in this show. And Definitely. I think this episode uh Really, uh, whilst the first episode definitely shows a lot of locations for the first time, you see a lot happening in this episode, Edward and Gordon. You have the introduction of Edward as a character who very much, like Thomas, is an underdog. But at the same time, you get to see Edward doing lots of things, and you get to see Gordon pulling this massive goods train. And it feels so authentically real. And Mm. it's just so lovely to watch for that aspect alone, I reckon. Mm, uh, For those not knowing the full context of the episode, essentially, Edward is the smallest engine in the shed. This was ripped from the Railway Series book itself, um, Edward's Day Out, um, which has caused some discussion in the fandom because in that same shot, Thomas is in the shed and is a lot smaller than Edward. <laughs> yes. Um, but It's one of those things I tend to ignore. Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate it because they reference the Railway series in there, kept to its roots. But he's the smallest engine in the shed, the driver won't pick you, and then he's allowed to go out and catch, a, take a train, and he's so happy about it. He has such a great time. He has a day out. Then after that, he is told to shunt some trucks. And as he shung some trucks, Scorn goes by muttering, a goods train, a goods train, before finally getting stuck on a hill, which back then didn't really have much of a name. And this was the key event of him being stuck on a hill, saying that he couldn't pull it. Edward had to go along and help push him up the hill, uh, which was the clip that you just heard. And then Gordon goes running off, and afterwards Edward is told to have a nice drink and a fresh coat of paint, and the story ends with, even though Gordon didn't say thank you to him, Edward still did a good thing, and he will eventually be rewarded for it. This was one of the initial stories that I I think I, feel I recall correctly that um, inspired the idea of the Railway series for the Reverend Wilbur Audrey. Um, I think uh, this event of Gordon getting stuck on the hill and the banker being Edward um, is something that Audrey imagined in his mind as he heard um, trains um, often chuffing quite slowly in box. He'd imagine they'd have voices saying, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And this is where the initial idea of the steam engine has been sentient came into play. Exactly. Um, And what really, I feel, brought together the Railway series was how the Reverend actually lived right near the Licky Incline, which is a very steep hill in England and was the basis of information or inspiration for Gordon's Hill, uh, which was so named after his incident of getting stuck on it. Yeah. And you can actually really hear that in this scene itself on how the music ties it all together. Yeah. Because you've got the, you know, the violin dun, 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 and that climactic build there and the entire sound work around it really narrates the story of there's a struggle going on here and they're going to finally make it in the end, which is amazing. Very much so. And... I think Mike O'Donnell and Gina Campbell do such a good job of the music, and I think it's something that's so um, timeless. I think when you're a fan of the series like we are, those um, themes that you hear that belong to each character are so iconic, and with those 80s synthesizers, it's amazing, and it's beautiful, and I think... um, as you said, with the the climactic building of uh, that uh, theme ditty, um, that it really helps uh, Ringo um, tell the story that's been told and really put the energy into 
what's going on. Mm, I can't do it. I can do it. You know, we can do it. We can do it. Definitely a conversation, even in the music itself. Yeah. I think what's also interesting uh, pointing out um, in this story is um, that one of the things that's lost in translation is um, the initial starting story, mm. Edward's Day Out, is not really present here. It isn't. Um, it was the very first story ever told, even before the railway series was a thing, because Christopher was sick with measles and he told the story about a little engine being triumphant and despite being quite old and poorly, much like Christopher was at the time, would eventually triumph. Yes, and it's so funny, like, names are so iconic to us now, um, were made up in the spin of the moment when Christopher asked, oh, what's the engine's name? He went, oh, Edward, and the name just stuck, and that's who Edward became, mm. and uh, it's it's a lovely story. If For those who don't know, um, Edward, um, very much like in the episode Edward and Gordon, um, is still in the shed. He hasn't been used for a long time and the driving firemen uh, go out and take him for a day out which is what happens in the TV episode but what we're missing here is the fact that he has this kerfuffle uh, with the guard of his train. Yes. Um, and it, I was reading on the Thomas Wiki about this. Um, there's a illustration in there um, of one of the coaches um, that is missing a front coupling and um, very eagle-eyed railway spotters uh, found this and said, hey, well, where's the coupling? And, and this is one of the other really beautiful things about um, Reverend Audrey is that he responds to this stuff and he said, this is because one of the other big engines uh, bumped the coaches so hard that it fell off and this is the reason why the coaches say don't bump us too hard and uh, they knew it would take a while to uh, refit a coupling so because of this the guard went out for his 11s and that was why Edward was waiting for the guard later at the station yes and I think this is such a a, a cheeky idea of a story and I think it really encompasses a lot of the sense of the very mature sense of humour that um, both Thomas and the Railway series share hand in hand. Mm. Um, definitely on how granted these are machines, but they do make mistakes. They are rough with the coaches. And I feel what's really interesting about it is on how these different parts that were real events if an engine did you know if a driver did drive the engine roughly a uh, coupling could fall off and what Wilbert did was he then made it a event of the engine that did it instead of the driver very much so in your uh favoritism of Thomas where does this episode rank for you out of 10 Okay, this one I definitely say is higher than Thomas than Gordon. I would probably put it at a 7.5, maybe even an 8. I'd say an 8 as well. Yeah, purely because, granted, it isn't maybe the most enthralling episode with plot points. You do this, now you do that. But I feel that the models in it, as we mentioned at the start, really put it all together. And then finally, the music with the climax really drives the entire set home from the models to the music and the narration. They just, they sell this episode to me in a way that I feel that Thomas and Gordon really couldn't. So much so. So let's head straight into our next episode. Uh, this one for me uh, is iconic and we're definitely going to explore why. Then, along came Sir Topham Hatt, the man in charge of all the engines on Sodor. They call him the Fat Controller. We will pull you out, said the Fat Controller, but Henry only blew steam at him. So the, sta the, the, sta the sad story of Henry is uh, the third 
episode um, and the beginning of a story that would go over multiple episodes, mm. um, which would later be continued in Edward Gordon and Henry. Um, in the US version, um, it's called Come Out Henry. Uh, that, I believe, is actually the later episode. I think so. Yeah, the the second part of it. Yeah, we're Australians. We get the uh, the UK. UK version. So uh, sometimes uh, we're not quite too sure. So if our American listeners can always help us out, we uh, very much appreciate yes, that. Yes, thank you. Thank you, please. <laughs> um, but this episode introduces Henry the Green Engine, one of the bigger engines alongside Gordon uh, for the first time. It also introduces uh, Sir Topham Hatt, otherwise known as the Fat Controller. Or the Fat Director. Yes, in the Railway series at this point, he was only director of the Railway. And um, we also uh, uh, see uh, Edward and Gordon and James in the background of this episode as well. Despite not being introduced. And I love that in uh, The Adventure Begins, uh, which is one of the 70th anniversary specials that we get is that they explain why James is around on the island of Soto and that uh, he uh, has his black coat of paint and he was very much there uh, prior to being introduced and he's very much of uh, the background. So it does give uh, these early episodes um, a lot more explanation to what's going on, why he's there rather being there as just a another engine, so to speak, quote-unquote. And with the other engines, of course, with all these early episodes, they didn't have so many models to play with. Yeah. So they actually used some different props and models from the sister show, Tugs. Yes. Yeah, which later came, I think... Tugs was made between season two and three of Thomas, am I correct? Uh, It was definitely not in season one, but what's really strange is that the same engine are seen in Tugs, the Marklin engine, um, who eventually became Puffer, if my memory serves me right. Yes, 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 you're correct, yeah. He was in these early episodes. He was, very much for, I think, season one and two. Um, Often, if you saw a large group of the characters all together and you saw um, a long goods train or passenger train being shunted or pulled in the background... That was the Marklin engine. Definitely. And in a few behind-the-scenes episodes, I believe particularly in Thomas's train, uh, there's a behind-the-scenes photo where some milk trucks go by and you see the Marklin engine pulling it. Yeah. Which is really interesting to me because the Marklin engine was a part of Thomas before it was a part of Tugs, and it's more well-known for Tugs. Yeah. I love... um, So, to digress, Tugs is uh, the sister show to Thomas that uh, David Midden produced, um, and in the title, it's about tugboats, um, and very much a lot more mature than Thomas, Mm. but I would... In my head of canon, I would believe Tugs and Thomas are kind of hand-in-hand in the same universe, because we have Puffer, who... I could guess maybe was a, a part of the Sodor cohort in the very early years. And we also have Big Mickey the Crane, who... Does actually make a named return. Yeah, and that's such... Oh, it's such a cheeky nod to the older Thomas Phantom again, who gets that stuff. And I remember seeing this episode for the first time and my head was spinning because I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Mm, That was New Crane on the dock. It was. And I love that it wasn't just a one-off thing, but now that Big Mickey is a part of the the main cast of characters. In um, my personal headcanon, of course, on Sodor there are plenty of harbours. You've got Brendam, you've got Arlsberg, you've got Tidmouth, you've got Knapford. Um... I personally say that, quote-unquote, big city port, whilst it is often referenced and believed to be American, I really saw view it as being actually Knapford. Yeah. Because I feel Knapford has sort of been underused. Tidmouth has been seen plenty of times with uh, special attraction, but, you you know, Knapford is just sort of off to the side. and It's offshore, so to speak. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. But it's interesting on how you say it is a lot more mature and how Tugs is definitely more mature because it's got themes of kidnapping and a submarine about to be blown up because he is no longer of use. 
but these dark themes are very much carried into Thomas, such mm. as in the sad story of Henry, when an engine who refuses to come out because it will spoil his red paint is told that he will be locked up in the tunnel forever and ever and ever. It's so Edgar Allan Poe, and I love that. And I love looking back at this episode and seeing how melancholy the ending is. Definitely. It's so dark. Now, what's actually interesting is that Ringo Starr says in the final narration, you know, I think you deserved his punishment, don't you? And this was actually the first time a narrator referred to himself in the audience. However, in the American, American, in the however, however, in the American uh, dubbing of these, it was actually said that uh, he will eventually come out. That's a story for another time. Mm. And this was done so that the audience knew that he wasn't going to be locked in there forever, and almost in very much a next time on Thomas and Friends, they would show and hint at the lay thing to keep the audience engaged. Mm. Whereas if you watch this episode, the, the UK and Australian version alone, you would assume that this is the ending. And I kind of weirdly like that. <laughs> I, I, I do as well in a bit of a morbid fashion. And it is actually based off, like, many of these starting stories on a real event in the 19th century. Yeah. When an engine broke down in a tunnel and was left there. Uh, this happened in America, of course. I'm afraid I couldn't get any more details on that. Um, but there, it is believable on how if an engine breaks down somewhere and you're unable to really move it, you don't have the funds or anything, probably best to leave it there yeah and that concept in itself is quite harrowing Mm, definitely on how he's told he'll be left there forever and he sees the other engines go by and you know edward always says hello to them and gordon laughs whenever he goes by the melancholy is oh yes there's my friend buried alive I'm going to laugh at him as I go by, proving that I'm better than him. (laughs) This is definitely sort of the arrogant side of Gordon, and I'm glad he gets his comeuppance. Yes, very much so. Before we continue on to the last episode that we're going to discuss, where does this one break for you? Okay, so I would definitely say it is below Edward and Gordon, um, because... It is very stationary. The only moving shot you have is when an engine is attached to a train, afraid of a few drops of rain, which is actually from a magazine from the early 1900s. I believe the earliest recordance is 1923, a magazine uh, with that poem in it um, that later inspired this story. But it is very stationary to that one shot in the tunnel and all the discussion around it. Mm. So I would probably put it about equal with Thomas and Gordon. I would as well. I'd give it a six. Yeah. I I think a solid six is where it sits. Now, the final episode is, of course, the final arc of this Henry saga. I'm going to poop poop at Henry, said Gordon. He was almost there when... And there was Gordon going slower and slower in a cloud of steam. His driver stopped the train. What has happened to me? asked Gordon. I feel so weak. You've burst your safety valve, said the driver. You can't pull the train anymore. Oh dear, said Gordon. We were going so nicely too. And look, there's Henry laughing at me. (laughs) I just love that. The little dun, dun, music dun, dun, ditty dun, at the dun, end. It, that really speaks to how much the music has played into the entire storytelling on how even though you don't have narration of Henry laughing... And the faces aren't moving either because exactly, it's all in live action. Exactly. You really have that feeling that this green engine is sort of, you know, <laughs> laughing at Gordon... <laughs> after he gets his comeuppance uh, for bursting his safety valve. And one of my favourite things about this episode, I noted down when I was watching it earlier, on how dramatic Gordon's stop is. 
You've got yeah. the quick camera shot to the steam filling up his cab. And then you've got the cloud of steam he stops in that keeps emanating from him when he initially stops. That, I feel, is so intense. And in a realistic sense, could hint to almost the dangers of running on a railway. Mm, very much so. And this is reflected uh, later on um, in one of the specials, uh, The Great Race, uh, where we see that level of danger again when he uh, forgets to have his safety valve placed back in his system. And he almost explodes. Exactly. And that is, again, another very dark theme of Thomas. And I feel that's one thing that helps myself uh, really appreciate it as an adult. Because mm. even though it is a children's story, it has got got the darker themes that, as adults, we can appreciate a bit more. Yeah, very much so. The interesting thing about this story is the only reason it came about is that the publishers, when they got the manuscript for the three railway engines, yes. they said, hold on. You can't just leave Henry's story there. You need to write a happy ending for Henry. And in fact, why don't you bring all three of the engines together for this one, for one last hurrah? Yeah, and I think as much as I'd love it in another universe to have the sad story of Henry be the only story that Henry's in... Yeah, it just end. <laughs> yeah, I... And, and there, there are characters who reflect that later on in the um, show that we will talk about most definitely. But I love um, this story as well. I think there's uh, quite a nice uh, tightening of the bow here, which mm. I really like. Mm. So after Gordon stops after laughing at Henry, Edward comes along to try and help pull the train along with the fat controller. Now, of course, Edward being a small only furnace engine, which is quite old, uh, he isn't strong enough to pull the entire train. So Gordon asks the fat controller, the fat director, Sir Topham Hatt, please, sir, can Henry maybe help? So Henry then is released from the tunnel, complains about how stiff he is in rhyme, and then uh, with Edward they pull the train to the end of the line and hurrah for Henry. It's it's such um I, I, I really just enjoy the the happiness of this story, but there's one particular scene that always uh cracks me up so much and I just have to if I may. Yes you may. <laughs> I, I I just have to play it now just because it's so good. Hey sang the coaches. Everyone was excited. The fat controller leaned out of the window to wave at Edward and Henry. But the train was going so fast that his hat blew off into a field where a goat ate it for tea. I think there's such, um, as I said before, there's such a, a, a fun-loving and cheeky sense of humour in the original railway stories. And saying that uh, the fat controller, a person of authority, um, is uh, having his hat eaten by a goat. Is, I don't know, it's not uh, slapstick, but there's something very, very chortly about it. Mm, it. It's almost very childlike. Yeah. On, you know, um, if you ask a kid, oh, where's his hat gone? They'll go, a goat ate it. Yeah, and the I, dog ate it almost. It, exactly. And I think that is very much uh, the Reverend's humour coming out in both the railway series and now the TV series. Mm. It's actually something that is reflected in multiple episodes. Yeah. From um, Bar. <laughs> that's, it's a great episode. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a bit hard to sort of expand on the title, just B-double-A exclamation point. <laughs> um, on how the fat controller's hat is always being taken off him and then eaten by a goat. I think that's actually one thing I really enjoy on how it became a bit of a running gag, but not one that was particularly intrusive mm. in any sense. And it didn't really carry the plot, but it didn't affect the plot either. Yeah. And the way this episode finishes, I love that um, it takes Edward and Henry to both pull the train um, but they decide, let's be fair and get Gordon as well, whilst he was 
not so favorable to the two of us in previous incidences we should uh be fair in our way of um extending friendship and help him out too and the story ends with the two engines going back and collecting gordon and taking him back to tidmouth sheds mm, edward gordon henry is very much as you said the tightening of the bow and the final shot of it with all three of them going away together with both Edward and Henry pushing Gordon back to Tidmouth Sheds, even though it was Vickerstown Sheds in the Railway series initially. Mm, yeah. Um, I, I feel is such a brilliant conclusion. And I know for me, this episode is ranking probably about an 8, 8.5. Yeah. I reckon it's probably about a good 7.5 for me. 7.5. What, 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 what sort of your down... I feel like it's it's an entertaining story, but it's, again, uh, one of those stories where things happen, and I know later on down in uh, the rest of this series, a lot more exciting things happen, and right. I know that things are coming, but at the same time, it's still one I very much enjoy. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. And, again, comment on the models in it, on how when... Henry comes out, he is covered in all this soot, which I believe was actually ground coal Mm. that they just sort of blew on him. And that works even better because it's realistic. Absolutely. Now, I think it's time uh, that we wrap up the podcast, but Connor, it's been uh, such a joy, as always, chatting Thomas with you. Um, I wouldn't miss it for the world. (laughs) Uh, Yes, Thomas... Tom and I really like Thomas. See, this is what happens when your name's so close. Um, And it is probably one of our favourite loves. But we are hoping to continue on this series following with future episodes. We are. So we encourage listeners, if you are a fan of Thomas or if you're... uh Coming back to Thomas, uh, purely for the entertainment of this podcast, we encourage you to engage with us um, by watching along with us these episodes and we'll be discussing the story, the production and uh, many other assets to the stories and uh, hopefully soon we'll be getting uh, some social uh, media up and happening. Uh, But this is the Right on Track podcast with Tom and Connor. We've had fun. We hope you have as well. Yes. Uh, So wherever you are in the world, good morning, good evening, and we hope that you've had a great time.